0: is your breath and it is breathed and it is true and we as a body of believers with so many different personalities and perspectives and convictions and positions we gather around your word to be united father we long for sound doctrine because it is sound doctrine that shows us your son jesus christ Father, we cannot live right if we do not know right. We ask that your Holy Spirit would teach us your word so that it might be far more than a textbook to maintain a culture, but it would be your presence transforming our lives through the renewing of our mind. Father, my prayer is give me the Give me the mental clarity to teach your word this morning. Help me to remember my studies. But above all else, that we would know your Son. And Father, I pray this and I
1: ask this in your Son's precious and holy name. And if you're awake this morning, say amen. How many here are old enough to remember the 80s? Anyone at all? (laughs) It's like 30% of you. I want you to enjoy this commercial. Let's hit this commercial and then we'll, we'll get going from there.
0: It's yours? No, I'm Your mother s- she found it in your closet. I don't know, one of the guys must, look. must have. Must what? Look, Dad, it's Why not mine. Where did you get it? Dad, answer I- me. Who taught you how to do this stuff? You are right. I learned it by watching you. Parents who use drugs have children who use drugs. Now,
1: before we advance that slide, how many here remember those televisions? What if I told you this was an actual television? No, I'm just teasing. The craftsmanship with televisions in the 70s and 80s. It was amazing. All right. That commercial, how many here remember that commercial? Anyone at all? Yeah. Last... How many here never saw that commercial before, and I'm horrified that we showed it in church? Anyone at all? That commercial has had such an impact on the culture of the greatest generation ever born that it is still permeating in this day and age. I want you to see this here as we fast forward in time.
0: What are you doing? She was full, I could tell. Come on, she's not full. What, where'd you learn this? Uh. Who taught you how to do this stuff? You, all right. I learned it by watching you. Parents who skim mac and cheese have kids who skim mac and cheese.
1: Gooey, creamy, delicious, Kraft macaroni and cheese. You know you love it. We can just close on a word of prayer. There's so much there i learned it from watching you it could be argued that (laughs) as i look at this it could be argued that people learn far more by watching than they do by listening i know i do i always want to see i often will say can i watch you do this so that i can retain it that's how i want to approach this text here this morning In fact, that's what Luke's going to give us. After all, there are no references in this text. Who wants macaroni and cheese right now? I just. How many here remember the day you could eat an entire box of creamy, shelled macaroni and cheese with no physical repercussions? Anyone at all? How many here still eat it, but there are repercussions? My dad always said, growing old is not for wimps. And I'm beginning to understand what he means. There are no references to any conversions here in this text. No one gets saved. No gospel presentation is given. There is no reference to Paul sharing the gospel. No one is attacking him, except, of course, maybe the viper that comes out of the sticks. It's as though Luke just gives us some casual details of Paul living amongst those around him, and then it, then it hit me. That is exactly what this is. This is a precious and rare window of watching Paul just living his life in general. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to keep our distance from the text in, a, in an allegorical kind of way. We're going to just kind of keep our distance and watch Paul just living his life from, from a distance, living his life in general. So what we're going to do here is just let Paul live his normal human being life, and we're going to just make some observations from him as we watch his life. After all, I think that's what Luke wants us to do with this text. We are going to learn from just watching him. You know, in many ways, this is going to be a very good three months for Paul. You'll find that in verse 11. He's on the island of Malta for three months. And it's it's rather a good month for him. After all, since Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus, it's been rather bumpy. He's been attacked by his own people. He's had death blots, murder attempts. He's been stoned and left to dead. He's been beaten nearly to death in Philippi. He's been persecuted, arrested by Rome. Two years in Caesarea under the selfish Felix. And then a storm in the Mediterranean Sea that causes him to crash land into Malta. That was last week's study. He is having a no-good, very bad day, month, and years. Yet if you think about it, on this 100-square-mile tiny island, for three three months, Paul will not be subject to any harassment. He's not going to have any enemies attacking him. But he is kindly treated and respected by those around. It is in many ways a little sabbatical for him before he heads to Rome. A time out, a refuge from what has become his normal in his life. Now, interesting enough, the island of Malta literally translated means place of refuge. This is a place of and a time of refuge for Paul. But before we go too far into that refuge and sabbatical, and we must remember that his arrival is not peaceful. We must remember his state. He's shipwrecked in late November. The air is cold and Paul is wet. Paul and those around him are freezing to death, if you will. And down the hill of Malta, this hundred square mile island, come a bunch of natives. Now, the word natives here, is interesting. In the Greek, it, it's, it is the word barbarians come across a hill towards Paul. Now, the word barbarian here does not contain the same negative connotations that our culture places, places on it today. There were not a lot of Arnold Schwarzeneggers coming down the hill with swords in their hands. How many here? Children of the 80s. That's not what we're looking at here. All right? You see, in this culture, the Roman Hellenistic culture, the word barbarian is used to describe any group that does not know Greek or Latin, or is not involved in Roman culture. You'll find that found in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 11. It's not limited to any ethnicity, it's just anyone outside Roman culture and language And here's what I want you to remember. I want you to remember Paul's last few years. He's been beaten. He has been stoned. He has been imprisoned. He has been shipwrecked. He is cold. He is wet. He's on the island of Malta. The ship that he was on is being destroyed in the surf on the waves. And and all of this is going on. And now exhausted and wet over the hill come barbarians that do not speak his language and is coming down the hill. Now if history is prologue, if history is any indication of what is to come, what would, here's a question for you. What would you expect if your life was like the Apostle Paul, and now barbarians come over the hill in the middle of the night? What would you expect to happen? Talk to me. Just give me some words. You're going to die a very slow, painful death. Now, If you look closely, they're picking up sticks and carrying large branches. They're picking up wood. You can almost see Paul tighten up his muscles to receive yet another beating, another looting, as these barbarians come to plunder them on the island of refuge. And then as he closes his eyes to receive the inevitable, these barbarians, check this out, they show extraordinary kindness. Now the word kindness here... This is how it's pronounced, philanthropian, which sounds a lot like philanthropy, which by the way is what that word is. That's where we get it from in the Greek. It means unconditional kindness. It means love towards humanity. Now, this is kind of an interesting and funny statement, if you like words at all. Paul braces himself for another trial in the cold, wet rain of a winter's day on Malta. And instead of receiving that, this oxymoron concept comes up, and he receives barbarian philanthropy. That's not what he was expecting. They kindled a fire and they took them all in because of the rain that had started and because they were cold. Cold. Now remember, there's 276 of these people that got off the ship. They are wet, they are exhausted. They're warming themselves by the fire. No wonder Paul calls it extraordinary kindness. Imagine if you are in the winter rain and you have to build a fire to to warm everyone in this room times two. That is no small text. It is extraordinary kindness. No wonder this island is an island of refuge. Now I want to stop for our first observation as we're just watching Paul from a distance because we learned from watching you. We learned from watching Paul. While they are labeled with the term barbarian, they live their lives as philanthropists. Well, they are given this title. Here's what I want you to grab. The label is not what matters. It is how we live our lives that matter. These people made the label barbarian a good term by the way they live their lives. You know, in our culture, the term Christianity is not always seen as a flattering term. Can I get a witness on that? Especially in our culture today. And... A lot of times, oftentimes, people hate Christians because, well, Christ said, they will hate you because they first, what? Hated me. I am the master. You are the servant. You are not going to be treated better than the master. You should expect this kind of thing. But there's also another truth that sometimes Christians earn a negative reputation by the way we live and conduct our lives. And if you are at least willing to agree with that a little bit, say amen. Now. With that being said, sometimes it's our own failure. Here's what I want you to grab. Let us make the name Christian a good term again. Not simply by declaring what we believe, but by the way we live our lives. If we are going to call ourselves Christians, may it be supported by the way we live. Christians who do not act and follow and live like Christ are not Christians. We must act like Christ. Now, I want to make another observation as we watch from a distance here that is consistent with the overall teaching of the Word of God and, frankly, the overall viewing of Paul's life. And I bet, if we're honest, your life as well. The overall practical truth is this. God seems to mix the bitter with the sweet in our lives to keep us balanced. How many here would say, I've had bitter and I've had sweet in my life? Anyone at all? We've all been there. This seems to be an ebb and flow here. Dean Butler rightly uh, observes when he says this, If you've had some bitter experiences lately, look for some sweet ones to come. If you've had smooth sailing for a while, do not think that God is forsaking you. If bitter ones come and tear your sails. Scripture seems to bear that out as well. Psalms, Job, Matthew, and many others. Now remember, we're just watching Paul from a distance here so to see how he lived and interacted with people. So let's look at what he does here. This is, I find, very interesting here. Paul, I think if we advance that, um, yes, Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks, there it is in the purple, a, a bundle of sticks and he laid them into a fire. Now, if you just look at Paul from a distance here, the, he is the apostle to the Gentiles. By the way, Paul has had two Christophanies in his life. By Christophanies, that means he has literally seen the resurrected Lord in his life. He's performed many miracles. He's on his way to Rome through the promises of God. He has written books of the Bible through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. One of them to Rome where he's heading right now. And look what Paul is doing. He is out there working and picking up sticks. The humility and work ethic of Paul here is admirable. Paul has, by the way, become the leader of the ship. He was trusted on the ship. Even though he was a prisoner, the the centurion and the commander and the captain of the ship listened to everything Paul says. He is highly respected. And so he's so highly respected that soon the cove where they crash-landed will be named after Paul. And to this day, it is called the the Bay of St. Paul. He's got a lot going for him. Not only that, literally people from Rome will hear that Paul is coming and will look at this tonight, will run 45 miles out of the city of Rome on foot just to greet Paul on his way to Rome. Who here has ever been so excited to see someone that you walked and ran 45 miles to meet him? Anyone at all? Of course not. I'm not sure we'd even drive that far. At least with gas prices today. That's a long way. Now grab this. Yet notice from a distance this. Look what Paul's doing. He is doing the lowly tasks. Paul could have said, I'm the reason none of you died. I'm the reason you got all here safely. I'm the one that got us through the storm. You go get the wood. I will be here by the fire. But that's not what he does. Humility, what we see here is humility is essential to true Christianity. Christianity. Humility is essential to true Christianity. What I notice here is Paul's not one to take help sitting down. Paul's not one to take help sitting down. He is persecuted. He is oppressed. He is the prisoner of an occupying force and he is innocent. Three times, just like Jesus Christ, three times he was proclaimed innocent of his charges. And soon he will enter into Rome triumphantly with people all excited that he's coming in. What a, what a foreshadow of what Christ went through. He could have said, "You know, I'm not, I'm not going to do this." But Paul did not have an entitlement attitude. Let me, friends, can I ask you a question? I'm going to ask you a question. Feel free to agree or disagree. You can say yes or you can say no. But do we live in a day and age of entitlement? What's the answer? Yes. Of course, we do. And truth of the matter is, it sticks to our own hands and lives as well. A I-deserve-more culture, where everyone is owed more and responsible for less. According to the U.S. News and World Report, in 2018, our country took in nearly $4 trillion in taxes. I can't even comprehend that number. 62% of that nearly $4 trillion is in entitlements. of our national budget is in entitlements. Now, some of those entitlements are worthy. Some of them, I think we could all agree, are not. And soon... Entitlements alone will require more money than our country will take in annually. And there is no end in sight. More entitlements are demanded by the voters and promised every year by the politicians to get elected, regardless of party. Our country is in a financial and national death spiral, and there's nothing we can do because of it because we think we deserve everything. We live in a day and age where the more you do for a person, there is a possibility that they will see it as less they have to do for themselves. When help is given, a lot of times people think, well then, I can just shrink from my duties. If you help someone, they, they see it as a means, and now I don't have to work as much. If I were to translate this back into the text, if a fire is built to be warmed by, it will never cross our minds to help refuel the fire. And that stirs our red and blue-blooded politics within us. But may I make a careful observation and a loving observation. This tendency, this attitude towards responsibility and work ethic is just as true in the church as it is outside of the church. Because here's a new flash. There are the, the problem with people outside the church does not stop at this wall because what's inside the church as well. Talk to me. People. And I'm one of them. We have to check our own hearts here. Many in the church can sit around the fire of ministry and warm themselves with no thought of fueling the fire. More for less, personalized ministries, while serving in none, demands without sacrifice. I get these emails a lot, and I want you to know I get these all the time, and I want to share one with you. Everything you're about to read, by the way, is not in this room. It's a person I've never met, and I've, and I've stripped it of all details, although the content is true. I get this email, and it says, we are potentially looking around at churches, which, truth be told, that, you know, that happens, We've all done that. I've done that. Believe it or not, I was potentially looking around at churches when I was sending my resume out. Are you following me here? Not, Not this week, all right? I don't mean it that way. But we've all been here. That's okay. That's not what I'm getting at. And then it listed all the unmet expectations as their current church. How that church did not meet their needs. And then the email went on and it said, and just so you know, before we even begin to come to your church, these are the most important things to us. And my mind just goes, oh my goodness. If, if, this, is, if this is what they need to visit the church, can you imagine the hostage situation we would be in if they came? Oh, So I'm thinking, okay, these are the most important things. And my mind is going, I'm excited to hear this. This is going to be good. It's going to be about the gospel. It's going to be about the truth of God's word. It's going to be about the fruit of the spirit just oozing from our lives. Or or maybe the importance of repentance and turning away from our sins and turning towards Jesus Christ. Or here's one. You ready for this? You'll never think of it. Jesus! Maybe that'll be important. Well, the first one is right here. Strong, personalized groups designed around my specific age needs. Okay. Yeah, we've all been there before. You know that. How many here are like, yeah, you know what? Small groups are important and and ministries for our children and and making sure that they're centered around God's Word. That's a good one. And then this next one I get all the time now, and it's this one. Guarantees how Trinity will handle the next pandemic. I'm still in therapy from the last pandemic. You have any idea every time a pastor hears the word pandemic, we like lose strength in our knees? There was no moral ground for a pastor. And I thought to myself, I don't even know how to answer this. Maybe they're, what about the zombie apocalypse that's coming? How will Trinity handle that? Tell you right now, not with a mask, all right? No, I'm just, let's move forward, all right? Don't clap. That's immoral, All right? And you're immoral too. If there's anything the pandemic taught us, it's that we're all hate people, regardless of our position. Now, oh, that just felt good. Now notice, Jesus didn't make the list of important things in the church. If I could just bring this back, this person is shopping for fires to warm themselves by. Making sure the fire they go to is a little bit better than the fire they're about to leave. You know, many gather around the warmth of a church's fire, and that's a good thing. Makes me want to sing, it only takes a spark to get a fire going. (laughs) And soon all those around. That's right, that's as far as I go. Can warm, and it's glowing. (laughs) That's how it is with god's love i'm gonna stop for my kids sake all right (laughs) but sounds better in the shower moving forward all right that's a good thing but a lot of times we gather around and we warm ourselves by the church's fire doing very little to fuel its heat doing very little to fuel its heat but are very vocal if the ministry fire is unsatisfactory. Here's a question. If you are on Malta right now with Paul, are you warming yourself by the fire or are you gathering sticks as well? Here's a follow-up question. If you're at Trinity Baptist Church right now and you're sitting in a pew consuming or are you serving as well? Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 that we as a church are to serve and contribute to one another, to enrich and edify the body of Jesus Christ's people. Again, I want to make this lovingly clear. If you come to church on time, listen to a sermon and sing some songs, and then leave immediately after being dismissed, driving home, evaluating whether or not that was worth your time or not, but not fellowshipping, not caring for, not getting to know, not loving, not talking to any real person, you didn't make it to church this morning. You made it to an American special interest group and there is a world of difference between the two. Now this to thank you, sister, I got one amen. Everyone else is thinking, I, I'm worried about the zombie apocalypse. Now this doesn't mean you have to serve in some official capacity. It doesn't mean you will be a deacon and we will grind you into pulp. All right, That's not what we're talking about here. You don't have to hold an official position or a recognized committee or ministry or anything like that, but you should seek out and know the people in the pew next to you. Make sure that you know the people you sit by, get to know them, find out what their needs, encourage them, strengthen them. Church, all hear this, church is not a service we attend. It is a community of believers centered around the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? And if we don't know one another, we're not in church. Churches' people. Here's a question: How many sticks of service do you put in the fire to the church you attend? Look around this auditorium right now. There are sticks of ministry everywhere you look. That lonely person, that broken heart, that friendship that is needed, that marriage that is failing, that relationship that is broken, my friends, let us pick up sticks and bring them to the ministry fire so that people can be warmed by God 's grace and love. You know another observation I see, if I could switch here,' it's just watching Paul, is how he responded when he was bitten by a snake. and there's a lot of application here that goes back to his experiences. Now, if you were throwing sticks in the fire, like, look how godly I am. I am participating in the warmth of the fire and all that that application is. And you're picking up sticks and you're being a good moral person. And as you bring the sticks to the fire and the heat wakes up a viper, and a viper comes out because of the heat and fastens itself to your hand. How would you respond? Scream? Where are you, God? Well, how else would you respond? Snake bite. And by the way, it sits there. It says he had to shake it off his hand. How are you responding? Pass out. Yeah, that's a good one. Why me? Nine one one. Paul doesn't do that. He goes, dinner. He throws it into the fire. Now, before we get too far into this, all right, we should know that if you are bitten by the average viper, you have literally minutes to live without some sort of help. No, I'm sure there's exceptions, but I did at least 20 minutes of research on vipers this week, and I want to share with you my expertise. Because <laughs> that's how we do research, right? I saw a YouTube video. I've researched this. Let's move forward. Once bitten by a viper, by the way, the average viper can inject enough poison to kill six people in one bite. And it's hanging on his hand, and it's pumping it into him. All right? A person will have immediate localized swelling and pain in the area, followed by potential hemorrhaging. Now, since the venom messes with a person's ability to clot blood, it can lead to internal bleeding and ultimately acute kidney failure. I don't know what those words mean, but it sounds bad. All right? Now, that makes a bit of sense. And it seems to line up with what we read next. Look at this. They were expecting that he was going to swell up and suddenly fall down go boom. All right? They clearly have some experiences with these snakes. As as I look at Paul from a distance, I notice what he does. Look at here. He shook the creature off into the fire and suffered no harm. No harm. That's kind of anticlimactic, isn't it? He was annoyed with it. Mm just shakes it off and they're watching him like it was a casual thing how is this possible the smallest thing happens to us and we're crying out psalms and lament how long will it be oh god before you see me paul shakes it off it makes me think of taylor swift which you should never listen to all right <laughs> how many here are young enough to know what song i'm i'm what's it called shake it off i bet taylor swift stole that from paul no credit whatsoever that's plagiarism now he shakes it off how's it possible paul has promises of god that he's going to rome remember that an angel of the lord came to him on the ship and said don't worry about these waves i will fulfill my promise Not only does he have God's Word, but Paul has life experiences. Paul has survived so much. By this time, when he finally gets to the fire, a viper bite compared to the promises of God and and the faithfulness of God to him is as concerning to him as a mosquito bite right now. What I see here is this. By watching Paul, I see this. When you live through enough experiences with Jesus, it produces confidence and faith in Him. Not only... Does does he know the promises of Christ? He has seen Christ work in his life many times to the point that he has so much faith and confidence that a viper bite doesn't even get in his way. Paul has been beaten, arrested, stoned, imprisoned, attacked in a storm like no other. He is sitting next to a fire that has been given to him, now grab this, by barbarian philanthropists. He knows God's promises will not be thwarted by death, by snake bite. My friends, can you see everyone staring at Paul as he shakes the snake off? And he goes, are you going to eat that bread? They're just absolutely perplexed by him. Trials are hard. They are. We are not strangers to them. You aren't, I'm not. But if you pay attention to how Jesus works in trials... It will prepare you for the next one with less fear each time they come. Now look what happens. And after they waited a long time, they saw that he didn't swell up and fall down and go boom, and nothing unusual happened to him. NASB, B-A-B version. Now, I love this. I may even want to close with it. Paul was bitten while humbly serving those around He could have said, this is what I get for being a good person. Have you ever said that? This is what I get for serving Jesus. And so it's Jesus' fault. He could have said, this is what I get for being a a good person. He could have gone in victim mode. Do we belong to a victim mode at all today, folks? There's a lot of power in being a victim. He doesn't do that. In fact, I want to get a little bit spiritual here. Christ told Paul, I'm sending you to Rome. We see that in Acts chapter 23 verse 11. So be courageous, Tharsa. You will go to Rome." In fact, if we remember that Greek word from several weeks ago, "Tarsaye, be strong, The more we are strong, the more we are Tharsae, the more we are strong in our faith during crisis, what we see here is that Paul threw the viper of death into the fire. Who knows, maybe he's looking at the meat for a snack a little bit later. Here's where I want to get a little bit spiritual. If I may, even a little supernatural. That goes just past the observation of Paul from a distance. Christ wanted Paul to share the gospel in Rome. I think we can all agree that it is fair to say that Satan did not want Paul to go to Rome. Can I get a witness on that? We do have an adversary. A lot of times we like to break it down into things we can understand, but we do have an adversary called Satan, the devil, the father of lies. Satan did everything possible to stop Paul from, Paul from going to Rome. His own people tried to kill him, storms of sea. The soldiers wanted to kill him before they got to the, to the shore, and now a viper has just bitten him and is dangling from his hand. Can we all just agree that this seems to be just a little bit more than continuous bad luck? Paul's being opposed by a spiritual enemy here our adversary, the devil. Ephesians 6.12 says, "Where we struggle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against powers, and against worldly forces and darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Here's what I, I think we need to see. Satan wants Paul anywhere but Rome. And here it is. And agree with this if you will. But God rules over all. Amen? Grab this. What Satan would use to frustrate God's plan, a a bite from a viper while he's at the fire at that time. What Satan would use to frustrate God's plan, God will use to advance his plan. Satan's attack on Paul only distinguishes him above everyone else. In fact, look at this. They Right here, they changed their minds and said, Paul's not a murderer, he's a god. We'll unpack that tonight. Paul sees that everyone is watching. And he responds in a way that will enlarge the word of God through him. I want us to hear this. Crises reveal a person's character. Crises reveal a person's character more than they ever build it. Trials and crises only reveal what is already inside of us. What comes out of you when you are bumped tells people what's already inside My friends, we can observe a lot here in this passage. As we watch Paul interact with life, we can safely apply at least four things. Here they are. Don't tell people Jesus is Lord. Show the authority of Jesus in your life. The priorities that we keep, the desires that we chase. Number two, don't tell your children Christ is important. Show them Christ is important. Don't gather around the warmth of everyone else's fire. Make sure you're feeling it with your own efforts. And finally, don't just talk about God's power. Rest in His power. Because at the end of the day, it is not important that you carry the label Christian. Hear that. It, is, it means nothing that you carry the label Christian. What matters most is how we live it out in our lives. These people made the term barbarian look good by the way they lived. Let us redeem the title Christian by the way we live our life. Just don't say you're Christian. Show it. Because the world is watching. And they will learn about Christ. Now grab this. They will learn about Christ not by fighting heresy with Facebook comments. But rather, they will learn about Christ, much like the child in the commercial we began in. They will learn by watching us live. We'll look at that a little bit more in the PM. We have the opportunity to observe communion together. And I just want you to take this time right now to bow your heads and just spend a brief moment in time With our Lord. Confess any sin that you may be holding. But don't just confess it. Repent of it. Tell the Lord by every possible means. You are going to turn away from that sin. And not go back to it. That you want him more than you want it. And if there's any broken fellowship in this room, make sure you reconcile that before you partake of this. Far be it for the body of Christ to gather around the blood and the body while divided. It is contemptible. In fact, Paul says we eat and drink judgment on ourselves. The price of what Christ has done for us is far too valuable to claim our individual islands and live for ourselves. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your body and your blood. May we never take it for granted. We ask that you bless this time together. Lord, may we be unified around you, not conformed to one another.
0: Start with me. In Jesus' name I pray this. Amen.